Acts chapter number two has been a crazy year, to say the least. I saw a sign the other day I was driving, and it said, hey mom, is that offer to slap me into next year still good? I thought that was, pretty, thought that was a pretty good sign. <laughs> I think some of us want to be slapped into next year, even slapped into heaven. Uh, but we're here, and that's okay. Acts chapter number two. Once you find your place, go ahead and stand if you could, as we read God's word this morning. We're going to start in verse number 41. Verse number 41, Acts chapter number 2, verse number 41. I'm going to read this, and we'll kind of make note of it uh, as we go along, and then a little bit later in the message. Again, I'll talk about what has already happened thus far in just a minute, but let's go ahead and start in verse number 41. Remember, this is the day of Pentecost. Thousands have been saved. The Holy Spirit has come and empowered the church. Verse 41, Then they that gladly received the, his word were baptized. And the same day were added unto them about 3,000 souls. What a day that was. 3,000 people got saved and baptized. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and in breaking of bread and prayers. And fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done by the apostles. And all that believed were together and had all things common and sold their possessions and goods and parted them to all men as every man had need. And they, continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, did eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart, praising God and having favor with all people. And the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. That's really how it should be. God adding daily people that are being saved. Uh, let's go ahead and pray and begin this morning. Heavenly Father, we love you. We thank you so much for this day, Lord. Thank you for the wonderful music and even that song, just a reminder of heaven, that this world is not our home. It's just a temporary stop for the Christian. And I pray that if there is someone here today or even watching online that doesn't know you as their Savior, that today might be the day they put their faith and trust in you and realize that there is something far better than this world waiting for them. And Lord, for those of us that have lost a loved one, a friend, a family member, Lord, we're just anxiously awaiting that day that we can see them again. And we can see our Savior face to face. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would bless us in our time together as we study your word. We love you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thanks so much. You may be seated. Again, as Brother Mike mentioned, we will have uh, Kid Zone tonight at 5 o'clock. It's our last Kid Zone. And then um, all of the adults, we're going to be in the back. We're going to do a uh, kind of a sermon-based group as we did during the Ecclesiastes series. So we're going to be doing that tonight as well. And then I got some kind of announcements for what we're going to be doing in the next month. So I really want to encourage our adults to, to be here for that. Uh, even the adults that have been helping with Kids Zone, probably once it gets started, I'm just going to have Brother Mike and Miss Tasha and the teens that are here to help with that and like all the adults uh, in the back so we can kind of go over some things. So I encourage you to be back at 5 o'clock tonight. Got some announcements to go over. Uh, let me go ahead and start with a question, then we'll kind of walk through this passage this morning. What is the best day that you have ever experienced in your life? Now, I dare say many of you might say salvation. That really is the best day that you've ever experienced if you've been saved. But apart from salvation, what is the best day that you've ever experienced in your life? Anybody want to start? David. Child being born. Child right being born. What? When you're right there. When you're right there. Child being born. That's, yeah, that's a great day. What else? Best day you've ever experienced? I think for the, the, the wife, it's the best and the worst, right? Yes, Crystal. The husband told you it was quitting the oil field. Best day. What else? Susan? When your children or grandchildren are saved. Yeah, children or grandchildren are saved. That's awesome. What else? Your wedding. 
Wedding day, yeah. What else? Anybody else? Anybody ever experienced a good day? Anybody at all? Should I ask the opposite question? What's the worst day you've ever experienced? Anybody want to chime in today? Come on. The, the more you chime in, the better. It helps me. It helps me get going. Brother Mike, I know you got something to say. I know. He got rich. Oh, he got a fridge. Then he said he got rich. I'm like, well, share the wealth. Share the wealth. Oh, he got a fridge. That's important because he wants to keep his girlish figure, boy's figure, whatever. I don't know. Whatever. Randy, you had something, right? Wedding. Wedding day. Okay. That's awesome. Graduation day. Basic training. What else? Best day you've ever experienced. Best day. Anybody at all? Come on. Getting out of the army. <laughs> Lori. They are children are born. What else? Oh. What else, Amanda? So my biggest dream was to go to Disney World. I only get like blood as an adult. So best day ever went. Well, the best day ever is every time I went to Disney World. But the first day I got to go to Disney World, that was pretty awesome. Yes, yes. <laughs> Took her there for our honeymoon. All right, what else? Any maybe make a couple more? Best day, best day, best day, best day, best day. Going once, going twice. Those who didn't hear, she said every time she gets an Amazon package, which is about every day. So every day, Amanda experience this is going to be the best day of her life. Yes. <laughs> Billy. I got to catch my little daughter. You got to catch her. I'm glad you didn't drop her. <laughs> glad you didn't drop her. <laughs> now we're getting offhand. All right, one or two more. Best day, best day. Dave, you got another one? Buying a farm. Buying a farm. All right. What else? Carmen? <laughs> yes. Anybody else? One more. One more. Best day. Best day. What? The beach. The beach. The beach is a pretty fun day. Um, all of us have experienced good days, great days, best days, whatever you want to say. Uh, the reason I was asking that is because all of this that has transpired in Acts chapter 2 is one day. The day of Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit came and empowered the church, uh, really lit that fire under them. They, they came alive, that 120 in the upper room. Holy Spirit came upon them, and then Peter preached that phenomenal, uh, that powerfully convicting sermon there at Pentecost, and it really resonated in the hearts and minds of the people, and it brought about conviction in their life. But the thing about the, the, the passage that I love is that it didn't just convict them, then they went home and did nothing about it, as happens many times in our lives. They were convicted and they did something about it. What happened? They got saved. They got right with God. 3,000 people were saved on that day. That's probably one of the best days that has ever happened in the history of mankind. Imagine that. 3,000 people get saved. I mean, it started with 120 in the upper room. So, you know, imagine the church starts with 120 people, and all of a sudden, tomorrow, you have 3,120 people in your church. That's pretty phenomenal, isn't it? It just kind of blows your mind. But that's what happened here at Pentecost. Wouldn't that be awesome if that happened here? You know, all of a sudden, we go from like 100, 120, and like, you know, next week, we have like 3,100 people here. We couldn't fit them all, especially social distancing. But uh, it would be an awesome, awesome day. Now, let me ask another question because it goes with the message this morning. As we get to the, the last part of chapter 2, as we close out just this one day. Now, when you study all of Acts in its entirety, it covers about 30 years. But again, chapter 2 covers about one day. Um, what we're going to be talking about today is uh, kind of a new community. Because what we have here is a new community of believers 
And really, we, we see some authenticity, some marks of authenticity in their lives. So the question is this, what do you think of, or what comes to your mind when you think of the word authenticity? What comes to your mind when you think of the word authenticity? Anybody? Stephanie? Unique. Unique. Okay. Brother Alan, do you have something? No? All right. I thought I saw you hearing Justin. Nope. People are shying away. David? Real people instead of fake people. Real people instead of fake people. Okay. What else? What comes to your mind? Yes, Stephanie? Truth. Truth. Okay. What else? Authenticity. What comes to your mind? What? (laughs) Anybody else? She said a coach bag, a coach purse. Uh, that's why I just tried to steer around that subject. Randy? The real deal. The real deal. Um, what are some marks, kind of goes along, along with that, but what are some marks, in your opinion, of an authentic person, of an authentic individual? Anybody? Stephanie? Consistency. Consistency. That's good. What else? What are some marks of an authentic person? Yes. Dependability, it's very good. What else? David? Truth. Truth, very good. What else? Someone who isn't afraid to ask you for something. Yeah, that's... That's, that's very good. Someone's not afraid to ask to pray for themselves because they're being open, honest, up front. What else? What are some, some marks of an authentic individual, authentic, authentic person? Anybody? Okay. In a sense, practices what they preach. You know, what they, what they live, that's, that's, that's who they are all the time. What else? Maybe one more. Some marks of an authentic person. Yes? Respectful. Respectful. Very good. So there's a lot of different definitions that we can give towards authenticity or an authentic individual. And, and what we have here in, in the end of chapter 2, verses 41 through 47, are marks of an authentic biblical church. And I really want to encourage the adults to be back tonight because tonight I'm going to dive much deeper into this and the application of it all. This morning, kind of give an overview of this passage. But look at verse number 41. We're going to walk through it here just quickly. The Bible says in verse number 41, again, remember what just took place. Peter had preached this powerfully convicting message from God's word and put it out there that it was upon their sins that they nailed Jesus to the cross. And remember... Many of the Jews that were here this day in Jerusalem were there on the day that Jesus Christ died on the cross. And many of those Jews that were there were the ones shouting, crucify him, crucify him. And now Peter is saying, hey, excuse me, hey, it was you that killed him. But he is not in the grave anymore. Thank God he is resurrected from the grave. He is alive. And as he put it out there, they realized that they needed to do something. Remember, they, they basically asked him, hey, what shall we do? And, and he told them in verse number 38, repent, repent of your sins and be saved, be baptized, receive the Holy Ghost. And in verse number 41, I love this verse, then they that gladly, gladly received his word were baptized. So they gladly received what Peter had given to them on that day. And they followed it with baptism. And in verse number 42, it says, And they continued. You know, this is very important. They did not go back to the way they were. Let me just say that. They did not go back to the way they were. How many have ever known someone that has gotten saved, trusted Jesus as their Savior, and it seems like they went right back to how they were? It was like just the kind of decision that was made in the moment. 
You know what happens from time to time, and maybe it's not an authentic transformation. Maybe they actually didn't truly get saved. And I've seen that. I even see, I've, I've seen that in uh, young people when I was a youth pastor for many years. I feel like there were some that got saved, and man and I can probably talk about this, but I think there were some that got saved or made a decision based on, okay, I'm in trouble right now with my parents, so if I get saved, I'm not going to be in trouble anymore. Because in a sense, they're not going to be mad at me. They can't be mad at me. And I say that because there were some that, again, I, I, I don't know for sure if that happened or not, but I remember one that they were literally in trouble with some things. We went away on a trip, and they, they made a profession. And I, I hope and pray that they did get saved, but then, you know, it seems like everything was kind of wiped away when they got back, right? But a lot of times people go right back to the way they were. But what we see in the early church, especially with these early followers of Jesus, once they got saved, man, they were glad about it. They did what they were supposed to do. They continued. It wasn't like a one-time thing and that was it. Verse 42, they continued steadfastly. They were continually, faithfully devoting themselves is really what it's saying here in verse number 42. And 42 gives us kind of four, four marks quickly. Now we're not going to, these aren't the notes this morning, but four marks quickly of, of really an individual that is authentic. Look, it says, and they continue steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. This is that discipleship aspect. And in fellowship, all of us love fellowship. Some of us too much. Now we're going to talk about the fellowship in the Bible. It's not necessarily centered around potlucks, but they continue in fellowship and in breaking of bread, eating together, and in prayers. These are very good marks of an authentic believer that it's not just I got saved, now I'm going to go back to the life the way it was. I'm going to do what God has called me to do. Look at verse number 43. And fear came upon every soul. They were in awe. They were in wonder. Many wonders and signs were done by the apostles. And all that believed were together and had all things in common. Again, verse 43 says, Fear came upon them. This was a sense of awe that was felt by every one of them that got saved that day. And what it was talking about, what it's referencing is this. They could sense that God is working. That God is who He says He is. And what we see in these verses, I'm going to give four applications, four points this morning in just a minute. But what I see that stands out to me the most, back in verse number 42, and they continued steadfastly. Again, we can talk about this in another light. It's really, they were devoted. This is what I see. I see utter devotion. What made this early church so unique is that they loved God's Word. They loved God's Word. And I mean they really loved it. You see, when you love something, you devote yourself to it. We think of those that have been married. When you are in love, you devote yourself to your spouse. You devote yourself to your children. And many of us in here at times have devoted ourselves fully to God, but there are other times when we haven't fully devoted ourselves to God. But when you study the book of Acts and you study these early believers, they were fully devoted, fully committed to God, to His Word. And Luke lays out for us over the next several verses really four things that are kind of grouped together. We're going to go a little bit deeper into all of the things, all the aspects tonight, so I encourage you to be back for that. But they were a new community. And there are four things that we see that constitute a new community of believers within a local church. And the first thing is this, apostolic teaching. 
goes back to verse number 42. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. This was the authoritative teaching because it was teaching not from some man's opinion. We have to be careful about that. What were the apostles teaching? Anybody? It's a tough question. What were the apostles teaching? Jesus. <laughs> that is their doctrine. Their doctrine isn't what they think is best for that day, for that week. Their doctrine is Jesus Christ. And they're communicating what the Lord had gave them through the power of the Holy Spirit. And this new church, this new community of believers, is learning divine truth from God's Word. You see, doctrine is what grounds us. We need doctrine in our life. It's what roots us. We can call this discipleship. And I heard this quote, and it's true, but you cannot grow beyond what you know. That's why we try to heavily focus on the discipleship aspect in our church to truly grow people and ground people. You see, these mighty apostles were commissioned by the Lord with the power of the Holy Spirit to tell the truth about life. Listen, we will never learn to understand ourselves. Listen to this. We'll never learn to understand ourselves or the world around us or the society or the culture around us or what's happening in the world, why it's happening, unless we understand the apostles' teaching. Let me say it again. We'll never understand what's going on in this world unless first and foremost we understand the apostles' teaching. And what I mean by that is we understand God's Word. Because God's Word should be the basis of our Christian life. Right? It should be the basis of all that we do, of all that we say, of how we live our lives. This world that we are living in is flat out crazy. I mean, that's about the best way we can describe it. It's flat out crazy. And it's hard to make sense of what is going on in the world, isn't it? I mean, you watch the news and you're just confused and confounded and it makes you upset and mad when you watch some of these things that are going on and some stories that aren't prevalent and other stories are pushed to the forefront. But the only hope we have is not in some news source. The only hope we have is in Jesus Christ. The only hope we have in, is in His teaching. And that's why it's so important to understand the teaching of God's Word. To be in your Bible on a daily basis. To, to be in church as often as you can. Because that is what grounds us. And that's what these early believers understood. That they were going to be in God's Word. And they had a hunger for God's Word. They continued in it. You see, we have too many... Christians that are swaying back and forth today. The reason for this is because they really don't know what they believe. They're not grounded. And look, it doesn't matter how long you've been coming to church. You might have been coming to church for 30 years, 50 years, 80 years. But if you're not grounded, that doesn't mean anything. And I've met people along the way in my life and ministry and life just as a Christian. Over the past 36 years of my life, I've met people that have been in church a long time that really weren't grounded. So being in church a long time doesn't mean anything if you haven't been growing in God's Word. You have to dig deep. You know, we, and I've been, I've been saying this the past couple weeks, but I have a strong desire, and I kind of shared this with our trustees the other night, but I have a strong desire that we turn church more than just an event. I mean, here, I don't want church to be just an event. 
You see, church can easily just become an event that we go to and, again, check it off our list. But as I study God's Word and I study the book of Acts especially and I study these new believers, this new community, church to them wasn't just an event. It wasn't just a one-time thing that I went, I'm good, that's all good. No, they, it was a daily habit. <laughs> it was a lifestyle. You know, making church just an event every once in a while will not grow you. Will it, Brother Don? No. It won't grow you, Brother Allen. Will it grow you? No. You have to be continually, steadfastly committed to God's Word. Listen to this and, and write this down. I think I have it in your notes. Committed discipleship takes commitment. Desired growth doesn't happen by chance. It happens by a steadfast devotion to God's Word. Committed discipleship, leave it up there for just a minute, takes commitment. It happens by a steadfast devotion to God's Word. Do we have a steadfast devotion to God's Word? If you want to, if you want to understand the world around you, then like these early Christians, you must devote yourself to the Apostles' teaching. And the Apostles' teaching is centered around Jesus Christ. So the first thing that we see, this first mark of this new community of believers is this apostolic teaching, this doctrine. But then the second thing is this. They had a devotion to fellowship. And some of us would be like, yep, I have a devotion to fellowship too. I love when we eat together. Well, it's more than just that. So much more than just that. In the Greek, the word fellowship here is koinonia. This is that Christian fellowship or communion. Now, there's a lot of things that come to our mind when we think of church fellowships. Again, potlucks and you know, hamburgers and hot dogs and eating and getting fat and all kinds of things and horseshoes, whatever it is. A lot of things that come to our mind. You know, we think about what's going on in our world right now with you know, this pandemic that we're in, COVID. There's been like hashtags like all together and things like that. Well, I think these early believers had developed that hashtag because they were truly all together. They were a group of believers that were all together. Look at verse number 44. And all that believed. Who is the all that believed? It was a 3,000 plus 120. And all that believed were, what's the next word? Together. I'm not saying they were literally like all living in one house. That would just, no, that, that would not work. But they were together. This is talking about a unity. And had all things common. They had the same goal. And the goal was not their preferences, their opinion. What was the goal? Jesus Christ. Advancing His kingdom. Doing what He has called us to do. You see, there's so many things in the New Testament that talk about being together. Uh, Paul refers to many of these things of, as he says to, that we should, uh, in others, that love one another, admonish one another, serve one another, be kind one to another, forgive one another, comfort one another edify, encourage one another, have compassion on one another. Look, fellowship is important. And there are some churches that major on the fellowship, but that's just one aspect. It's more than just always hanging out together. Listen to me. When you study the Bible, when you see fellowship, this koinonia, and write this down, fellowship in the Bible is always centered around the person of Jesus Christ. Fellowship in the Bible is always centered around the person of Jesus Christ. Look, there's nothing wrong with getting together with people. There's nothing wrong with that at all. There's nothing wrong with going places together with people in the church. But just going 
to a party, going bowling, going swimming, going to a lake, is not church. When we think of fellowship in the New Testament, we think of fellowship in the book of Acts, it is centered around the person of Jesus Christ. You see, they were devoted to this. Devotion implies work and accountability. Community involves a two-way commitment. We have to work at it. Look, we've said this before, but the church is not a building, is it? The church is a people. And every church has people who play church. And what I mean by this is every church has people who play church and are there when it's convenient for them, but at different seasons of life, they're gone. You know, I know in certain areas, and I've talked to other pastors and have known this, you know, certain areas, you know, if, you know, let's say they're, they're near a lake, near an ocean, whatever, you know, certain seasons of the year, they're always at the lake, at the beach, at the ocean, whatever, every weekend. Well, I'm with my family, I'm with my friends, so I'm, I'm doing church. No, you're not. And that's what we have to understand. It's the coming together of God's people. And I understand that with COVID, we haven't been able to meet as much. But again, it's a dangerous thing just staying away when you can be here. Because the church is the people and we need each other. We need that, that fellowship with one another. That assembling of ourselves together. You know, there's nothing wrong with vacations. And vacations are important you know, helps bring this, you know, rest and re- refreshing and, and renewal in our hearts. But a continual vac- vacation away from church is not church. But I'm watching it. But we have some devotions every now and then that's not church. These early Christians were devoted. It means they gave themselves away. Look at verse number 45. After they're all together, they have all things in common, verse 45, and sold their possessions and goods. Now, again, Luke is not saying that we have to sell everything we have. But these people, listen, were so committed to the gospel, so committed to Jesus Christ, that they were more concerned with souls being saved than their bank account growing. They were more committed, more concerned that God's word was going forward than they had the stuff that they wanted, that they desired. Is it wrong to have stuff? No. I think God still wants us to have joy in our lives. But, and I'm going to hit more on this tonight. I'm trying to, not, not to get ahead of myself. But again, it's not saying we have to sell our possessions. But listen, generosity is more than just the sum in which you give. It's about the heart in which you give it. There are people that would call themselves a generous person because they throw a large sum of money at the church or an individual. That doesn't mean you're generous. That just means you threw a large sum of money at someone. Generosity is about the heart. You see, this second sign, this second mark of this new community of believers, this authenticity is devotion to fellowship. A fellowship that is centered around Jesus Christ. Now before I move on, I want to ask some challenging questions, and I don't want answers. These are questions that I want you to think about. First of all, do you have fellowship with God through Jesus? Many of you might say yes. Are you working at building deep relationships with others in the church? I hope so. Many of you, I I would say you are. Could it be that 
the love that you love the idea of community more than the actual people in your church. That happens sometimes. Are you complaining about a lack of community rather than asserting yourselves to serve and love others in your congregation? Do you show up to events and meetings faithfully? Do you arrive early enough to interact with people at church? Or, I like this, someone else that that came up with this, but are you a spiritual ninja slipping in late and excusing yourself early? Now, there there are certain people, and I understand that, have a legitimate reason for that. But there's a lot of us that we do that because we don't want to fellowship with other people. But that's not an authentic mark of a a believer. It's not, well, I'll show up, you know, halfway through the preaching and I'll leave right before it gets the invitation. Again, there are some legitimate reasons why people have to excuse themselves. And I get that. I understand that. I'm not saying anything about that. But are you involved in others' lives throughout the week? Are you sensitive to the needs of your brothers and sisters in Christ? Are you grateful for them? Have you told them what they mean to you? You know, something Amanda and I get as pastor and pastor's wife all the time, you know, and I'm not complaining. This is part of the job, but people expect us to be there for them, and we try as best we can. I'm sure I've failed countless times, and I'm sure all of you can say amen to that. But we've failed countless times. But the reality is, and it's not a feel sorry for me, the reality is people expect us to care for them and they never even reach out to us to see how we're doing. And I've heard that even in this pandemic that, oh, I can't believe the pastor didn't reach out to me. The pastor's wife didn't reach out. They never even reached out to us. That's part of this fellowship of believers, checking in on each other, seeing how we're doing, seeing if we're all okay. And again, I, I need to do better. We all need to do better, don't we? And in verse number 44, we go back to that. And all that believed were what? What's that word again? Together. And had all things common. There was unity. There was togetherness. Write this down. A disconnected Christian is a disobedient and unfruitful Christian. A disconnected Christian is a disobedient and unfruitful Christian. And according to Acts chapter 2, you cannot be a true disciple of Jesus Christ and be disconnected from the church. And again, there are legitimate reasons why people have had to disconnect themselves. But there are many times where people have the opportunity to be here and they just choose not to. They've chosen to disconnect themselves entirely. A disconnected Christian is a disobedient and unfruitful Christian. Again, this isn't my opinion. This is God's word. The third aspect we see this morning, we've seen that first and foremost, they had this uh, apostolic teaching. It was a mark of their authenticity, this devotion to fellowship. Excuse me. The third thing is this. There was a vibrant worship. There was vibrant worship in their lives. This church regularly prioritized worship. This was evident in the breaking of bread. Now, a lot of times this is referring to kind of having a meal together, but a lot of times what they would do in the breaking of bread, not just having a meal together, they would also have communion or celebrate the Lord's Supper. Observing what Jesus had did for them on the cross. 
You see, worship is the recognition and celebration of who God is, what he has done, and what we are trusting him to do. Write that down. Worship is the recognition and celebration. Probably don't have notes because I forgot to, I've got them printed, but they're not cut off. So sorry about that. But worship is the recognition and celebration of who God is, of what he has done and what we are trusting him to do. You see, when they came to church, when they came together, they expected to be in God's presence. So let me ask this question. Kind of a challenging thought this morning, but what do you come to church expecting? Are you expecting to meet with God and to worship in His presence? You know, worship is talked a lot about in church, and I've talked a lot about worship, but we have to understand that worship is a very important aspect in a community of believers. It's more than just the songs that we sing. Now, that is promoting the worship in the service and it's leading everything to the message, the pointing people to Jesus. It should be. But let me help you all with some things, because we've talked about church being an event, and I'm going to address a little bit more about that tonight, some things that we're going to try to do in the near future. But there's a huge difference coming expecting to worship God and enjoy His presence versus making church an event. Let me give you some signs that church may not be a sense of worship for you and instead just an event. Again, we've alluded to this, and again, there are legitimate reasons why people do this sometimes, but one reason church might, be not, might not be a true worship experience for you is when you come in late, continually. When you leave early. When you don't stay around in fellowship. When you don't even bring your Bible. When you aren't even taking notes. When you're falling asleep. That's showing me that church is more, than, more, more just an event to you. And really, this should be convicting for a lot of us. I know we've moved our service time up, and I know that affects things. Trust me, I get that. I'm understanding of that. But, man, we've got to get back to this model. We've got to get back to the model that is created for us in the book of Acts, in Acts chapter 2. You know, I'm sure there were some people that, every generation, they're they're, they're always late, no matter what. They're always late. But again, you think about it in your work. If you're late, for consistency in your work, the boss isn't probably just going to let it slide, are they? Eventually, you might lose your job. So we go to work knowing that I have to be on time and I have to work at getting ready and and being there with with the people that I'm supposed to work with on time. If I'm not on time, there might be a couple reasons, legitimate reasons why I'm late, but I have to be there. I have to be there for them. If not, I might not have a job. I might not have a paycheck. Why don't we at least have that same desire and devotion to church? You know, church is an event when it's more about our preferences. When we can't handle conviction. And honestly, who in here truly likes just being convicted all the time? I don't. Because it's, it's hitting something that is deep in my life that I'm, I'm messing up. And I need to change and I need to fix What defines church for you? Do you come ready and with a sense of awe and fear as we see back in verse number 43? You see, we have to move beyond the event of church into vibrant worship. 
And part of worship, listen, is this, participation. It's a crazy thing, I know. But part of worship is participation, more than just, you know, ask a question and, you know, engage with that. But I don't know if it was Amanda or someone else said, you know, when you're praying with someone else, when you're opening up yourself, right? When you're allowing yourself to be vulnerable, knowing that you have mistakes and you have areas in your life that need to be fixed. So would you pray for me over these things? That's that participation. You know, even, even when we have, you know, Bible studies and small groups and sermon-based applications and things like that, it's participating with one another. And some people are like, I just don't like to talk. Well, I'm sorry, but get over that. I, I'd rather be an introvert. Most of the time, I, I am. But you have to talk. I'd rather just sit there where you are a lot of times, honestly. But God has said, you know what? I want you to talk. I want you to preach my word, and as a Christian, we should all be willing to preach his word, to proclaim the truth of Jesus Christ. So this vibrant worship, this aspect, and I'm going to go much deeper a little bit tonight and ask some more engaging questions, but are you praising God with other brothers and sisters? Are you even grateful for the privilege you have of worshiping and gathering corporately? Because there are some places around this world that cannot gather corporately. Again, we can talk about our freedoms being dismantled in America, but we still have the freedom to worship. We still have the freedom to praise God. Pretty sure our government hasn't taken that away. And if they try, we should still praise God. But we have a wonderful and awesome privilege of praising God, so I encourage you to sing out. I don't like the song. Sing out. Lift up your voice. Lift up your hands in praise and worship to God. Participate. You know, it helps me and encourages me when there is participation in the service. It really does. Amen. When people are saying amen and, and getting excited about the things of God's word. I don't study this just for myself. I study to try to, to give what God has given me. Engage in the service. Engage in the message. And then a final aspect that we see in these verses Again, not only is there that vibrant worship, that devotion to fellowship, that apostolic teaching, but the fourth aspect that we see very, very quickly is there is impactful outreach. Impactful outreach. Look at verse number 47. Or go back to verse 46. And they continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking of bread from house to house did eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church, what's the next word? Daily. Thank you. The Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. Well, it just doesn't work the same as it did back then. Well, it can. Because the same spirit they had working inside of them is the same spirit we have. But what happens most of the time, especially in America, we're talking about that, in our own community, we are quenching the spirit. We are not allowing the spirit to have full reign in our lives, in full control. You see, it's the Lord who saves people, but we are his instruments. So what part are we having in adding to the church? Well, I invited someone three years ago, and they didn't come, so I just stopped. Okay. 
Well, what are we doing daily? Again, you might not get out as much daily, but when you get out, what, what are you sharing? You see, it's more than just a lifestyle evangelism. Hey, look at my life. We actually have to use some words sometimes. And I'm pretty sure that these people that God saved, that were transformed, that were changed, realized that they have to tell other people about it. I mean, think about it. We didn't, we didn't ask it in this light, but the best day in all of our lives is the day that we truly got saved. We gave our lives to Jesus Christ. That is the, the best day that anyone could ever experience. And think about the excitement that was in your heart and in your life. Well, it's just kind of gone away. Why? Why is it gone, al- why is it gone away? Why has it left us? Maybe in our minds we need to go back and remember that day. Remember what Jesus saved us from and what he saved us out of. You see, everyone, I believe, in this early church was involved in evangelism. They didn't just leave it to the apostles. They lived out their faith publicly and not just privately. Well, I'm more of a private person, so I just don't want to share. Well, why? Christianity is not a private religion. It's supposed to be a public display of who God is and what he has done in our lives. And get this down. When their obedience was daily, their outreach was daily. When their obedience was daily, I messed that up. When their obedience was daily, their outreach was daily. So think about our own lives. If we are obeying God on a daily basis, then our outreach will be daily. But when our outreach is not daily, what's that saying about our obedience to God? It's not daily. You see, this is a new community. This is a local church. This church is something to be engaged with because it's loved by Jesus Christ. In verse 42, we close back with this. And they continued steadfastly. They were continually and faithfully devoting themselves to the apostles' doctrine, to that fellowship, to impactful outreach and vibrant worship. And we see this devotion. And that's what made this church so unique, this early church. This early group of believers were so unique because they were devoted to something that they loved. You know, when I think of community, I think of oneness and togetherness. We're together. We're to be unified. This community, this local church is not a place so that you can make sure your preferences are being met. This community is a place to be strengthened and equipped to fulfill God's purposes and make sure His preferences, His agenda is being fulfilled. You see, the Christians you meet in the book of Acts were not content to meet just once a week for services as usual. Verse 46, and they continuing, anybody know what that next word says? Say that again. I have a hard time hearing sometimes. Thank you. And they continuing daily. So it was a daily habit. Christianity was a daily lifestyle. It wasn't just a one-time thing. They met daily. They cared daily. They won souls daily. They searched the scriptures daily. Their numbers increased daily. 
Whereas in America, it seems like a lot of churches, their numbers are decreasing daily. You see, this church was unified, magnified, and multiplied. And here's the key truth that we close with. The Holy Spirit will allow some amazing things to take place when the church is unified in its devotion to God. And the members are active participants and not mere spectators. Leave that up there for just a minute. The Holy Spirit will allow amazing things to take place when a church is unified in its devotion to God and the members are active participants and not mere spectators. If I were to ask you to be honest, how would you define yourself? As an active participant, participant in God's church or a mere spectator? And some of us would be honest and some of us would like to think something that's not in reality what the truth is. But we are called to come alive. We are called to be who God has called us to be. We are called to participate in his church, in his kingdom, advance his kingdom. And that's the great thing about Christianity, that we get to participate in it. It's not just Jesus being the Lord and lording over us like some dictator. He allows us to join in. I talked a little bit about that on Wednesday night as we started the book of Revelation. We are participants with him. It's not just him. It's we get to work with him side by side. We get what Jesus gets. We are joint heirs. We hit on that in Ephesians. So these marks of this new community of believers, this devotion, this impactful outreach. You know, we're trying to impact our community this year. And we did some things yesterday and went to the police and fire stations and just gave them some gifts. And I think they were very appreciative of that. But that's just one small part. We have to be impactful with our outreach. We have to be obedient to God so that our outreach is daily. Our obedience must be daily so our outreach will be daily. We need to have this devotion to fellowship and not, not just, I got together with my friends and we ate. That's the breaking of bread. No, no, no. It's centered around Jesus Christ. There's nothing wrong with hanging out with friends and family and just shooting the breeze and just talking about nothing. Man, we should be so... Jesus Christ should be so much part of our lives that we just can't help but talk about it. We can't help but talk about who he is and what he's done in our lives. And sometimes you give people a chance to talk about Jesus, crickets, right? I guess, I don't know. Man, what's going on, church? You know, in some ways, we can't fully get back to Acts chapter 2 because... The culture has changed, but these are aspects that every church should have. Impactful outreach, vibrant worship, devotion to fellowship, apostolic teaching. If there's an area in this that you're struggling with that I dare say many of us are, I want to encourage you to ask God to help you. If you're not saved, I encourage you to ask God to forgive you of your sins. Allow the conviction to reach past your hearing and get into your heart and do something about it. 
Many of us like to shut off conviction, shut it up. But conviction is good because it always points us to Jesus. And that's the goal of the Christian life, to be more like Christ, right? Right? 